feasting of Easter, celebrating the love of Jesus and his resurrection. And so for kind of our Easter sermon series, and actually we might do it on and off for a while, we're going to be looking together at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Several things that Jesus did have impacted our world in incredible ways. The resurrection is preeminent among all of them, his conquering death. But uh, secondly, as well, is his teaching. The historian Tom Holland notes that how deeply embedded the teaching of Jesus has gotten into culture to such a degree we don't even notice a lot of the principles that continue to, uh, to help us thrive and flourish. And, you know, we've kind of gotten to the place where we think all these values that we have, say, as Americans or as in kind of the Western world, they all came from secularism or something like that. And really, a lot of them go back to this underlying teaching of Jesus, which was so radical and continues to be so countercultural. So we want to take a deep dive and look closely at some of Jesus' most important teaching over the next several weeks. So we're going to be starting in chapter 5 of Matthew's Gospel in his sermon on that day to the crowds of people and here's how the story goes now when jesus saw the crowds he went up on a mountainside and sat down and his disciples came to him and he began to teach them and so he said blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven and blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted And blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You pray with me and for me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the glory of your resurrection. We celebrate your resurrection presence even in this place in our hearts and lives today. And how that resurrection presence helps us embrace your radical countercultural teaching. And so, Lord, help what I share today to be as close to what you are after as, as I can get anyway. And may that help us get a little closer to you today, Jesus, too. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. As we start today, uh, we want to start by talking about the theme of happiness. How many of you, you know, you love, you hope that you can keep having kind of a happy life, right? Happiness is a good thing. We know it's good because, uh, you know, Thomas Jefferson included it in our Declaration of Independence as a culture that, that of our rights and freedoms, we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? So, so there is an important component to helping people live their best lives and our world has a lot to say about what it thinks about living our best lives and what that might look like 
and what that gets in our brain and heart and mind. Um, and so a couple of principles that the word the world tries to live by is is kind of materialistic prosperity. Make all the money you can. You know, try to be a multimillionaire by the time you're in your 30s, and then then you can really have a happy life. And so a lot of times, even our kids' dreams are kind of oriented that way. Um, I was watching a YouTube video this week by Charles Barkley. Everybody know Charles? King Charles, right? Used to play in the NBA, now a commentator and all that. And he was talking about uh, the time that he did a commercial that caused a good bit of controversy where he told everybody in the Nike commercial or whatever it was, uh, I am not your kid's role model. Parents, it's your job to raise your children. It's not my job to raise your children. And as he goes on, he talks about what he meant at the time. And he says, listen, this is the deal. We would go into schools and and oftentimes we'd go into schools that were predominantly minority African-American kinds of schools, and we'd ask the kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? And the response invariably was, we want to be an NBA all-star just like you, Charles. Or, you know, we want to be the next hip-hop artist of the year. Those were their uh, career goals. And then he'd go to other schools that were a little more diverse and a little more Anglo, white, you know, white folks there. And in those schools, they'd say, well, we want to be doctors or we want to be lawyers like our dad or we want to be teachers or, you know, we want to be these other things. And he says, I just noticed this significant difference. You know, how so many kids in, in my own community were... Hope, putting their hopes on being an all-star NBA player. And that only happens to like 600 men. And uh, there are all these other opportunities out there that if they just had a vision for being a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher or something like that, it's more realistic and they might find their success and happiness. So that's first, as the world tries to sell us on this, uh, you know, material prosperity, go and make millions of dollars and you'll be happy. A second thing that the world might tell us is maximize pleasure in life and minimize pain. Maximize pleasure and minimize pain. That if you want to make the most of life, make sure you're having fun, make sure you're well entertained, you know, whether it's through YouTube videos or What's the latest on Netflix or, or your, uh, you know, uh, Playstations or playing golf, whatever it is. Uh, build your life on the fun. And I like doing that too, you know. For me, it's playing a, sitting down with friends and family and playing a good board game. Uh, that's kind of weird. There's probably not a lot of you like that out there, but that's, that's what we like to do. But that's, that's where it is. Maximize the pleasure. Maximize the party. Minimize the pain. And then there's the third thing that the world will tell us to do, and that is get all you can while the getting's good. Just collect as much stuff as you can and fill your house with as much stuff. And if your house isn't as big as the Joneses next door, make sure you go and get a bigger house. And if your car is not as nice as the guy down the street, make sure you get a nicer car or a bigger truck. You know, make sure you go from that uh, F-150 to the Dooley. You know, just... Just find ways to, to be bigger and better. Get all the stuff you can, and this will make you happy. 
And that's what the world tells us, but is it true? Uh, one bit of wise advice, it comes from someone that I look up to a good bit, uh, Jim Carrey. Y'all know Jim Carrey, right? The comedian that had his heyday uh, doing all sorts of comedy stuff and making loads and loads of money. But somebody asked him one time, well, are you happy with all this stuff? And this is what Jim Carrey said. He said, listen, I wish everybody could get rich and be famous and have everything they ever dreamed of so that they would know that's not the answer. I wish we all could have as much as we ever dreamed of so that we could know that's not the answer. Jim Carrey has gotten it right. The world has gotten it wrong, but we still buy what the world sells us and we keep on buying and keep on and keep on and so uh jesus comes on the scene and he flips the tables over he says you really want to be happy let's do something completely different than what the world says and so we're going to look at his counterculture teaching today on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, Sermon on the Mount, it, it means Jesus was sitting on a mountain with his disciples and had crowds around, and they, they were having a great day, and he had taught kind of his best stuff that day. Um, and it's supposed to remind us in Jewish history of, a, of another uh, person on another mountain that was uh, kind of important in terms of the revelation of God. And, and if you know, you know your Bible history, that would be Moses. Moses also went up on a mountain, and while he was up on a mountain, he met with God, and while he was up there meeting with God, God gave him a teaching that would kind of help guide us and give boundaries to our life and boundaries to society and boundaries to community to make it healthy, and we call those boundaries the Ten Commandments, right? Well, really, it was about 600-plus commandments, but you know we re mainly remember the Ten, though it's good to kind of look what the others have to say, too. Um, and so where Moses brought the law and Moses said you know follow the rules and you'll have a good life uh, we get you know uh, 1500 years later or at least 12, 1200 years later and we come on the scene and Jesus says yeah what Moses what God did through Moses is great but do you really want to be happy do you really want to be blessed are you hungry for more than the law can give you? Well, if so, you know, it's not about acquiring all the stuff on the outside. It's not about, uh, you know, getting all you can. It's not about all this external stuff. If you want to be your best, it's got to happen in here. It's got to be a change of heart. It's got to be a change of attitude. It's got to be something new inside and it's not just about happiness it says you know jewish folks they they liked a richer word than happy happy is kind of narrow and you know just an emotion kind of deal so when jesus says yeah happy but it's do you want to be blessed blessing is deeper blessing connects us to the grace of the creator blessing um is a deeper, more real, more substantial kind of experience, a grounding for our lives and faith. And so Jesus says, I want you to be blessed. And so what is the path of blessing? 
Well, first, instead of emphasizing material prosperity, instead of making all the money you can with the time you have, Jesus comes to us and says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus turns the value totally on its head. I mean, in Luke's gospel, Luke doesn't even say poor in spirit. Luke says, blessed are the poor. And so when Jesus gives us this teaching, y'all, he's kind of taking us two directions at once. On the one hand, he's talking about our spiritual relationship with God and how uh, having a certain attitude of heart and mind can help us be more open to what God is doing in and through our lives. And then there's also kind of this broader principle that he's talking about, and that's just kind of everyday life stuff. And I think, I think both are true when he says these words. So he begins, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And so where is he pointing us to first? He says, listen, it's not about the money you have. It's not about the power you have. It's not about the privilege you have. Instead, it's about acknowledging your spiritual poverty not material prosperity. It's when we can say, you know what? I need something. I'm not even sure exactly what it looks like. I don't, don't know exactly what it is, but I know there's something in me that's empty and I have tried to fill it with stuff and that's not working. And so if I can't fill it with stuff, I need to find something to meet my poverty and give me something more rich. And that's what he says, is it's the kind of folks who acknowledge their brokenness, who acknowledge their poverty, who acknowledge that they need God. They need something. Those are the people that will encounter and experience and embrace the kingdom presence and power of God. God's kingdom is in our midst. It's right here, right now. It's a breath away from all of us. But if you want to experience the kingdom, Jesus says it starts with being poor in spirit. It starts with our spiritual poverty. Then the second thing he says is, instead of getting all the, how did I say it before? Instead of maximizing pleasure and minimizing pain, Jesus counters and says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now this is kind of a strange one, but it's one I can relate to where we are as our family at the moment and with Andrea's father likely dying and not going to be here much longer. But Jesus is saying, listen, you can't just try to build your life on pleasure. You can't just try to push aside and ignore the pain. Life is going to be filled with both. And though there is pain in the midst of life, the good news is, is in those moments, those can be the moments where we also realize that we're not alone says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That word comforted is where 
in the Greek, they get the word paraclete, and the word paraclete refers to the Holy Spirit in a lot of the other places in the Gospels. And that paraclete means comforter, that paraclete means advocate, but what it ultimately means is in our most vulnerable moments, in our moments of greatest grief and pain and loss, we're not alone. God is with us. And that can be dual. Like our family, it can have to do with, you know, death in our family or losing a job or something incredibly painful you're going through. But there's also this component that it has to be about your relationship with God. And in your relationship with God, in those moments when you can mourn over your own brokenness, where you mourn over your own failures, where you mourn over your mistakes or your guilt or your shame, when you begin mourning over, God, I'm just not as good a human being as I wish I was, that in those moments of our own brokenness, God comes along in His grace and fills us with His comfort and forgiveness and an opportunity again to find His kingdom there with us. And part of this lesson, y'all, is to realize that, uh, you know, the principle the world gives us is if it feels good, do it. And uh, Fred Craddock once said, Fred Craddock is great preacher he's dead now but but was a teacher at candler for years one of the great storytellers of the 20th century fred used to tell a story about this that not everybody lives by the rule if it feels good do it and he told a story of a lady one time who um she worked at a nursing home and similar i think to what our doctors and nurses and so many of you guys have been through over the last COVID years, right? I'm sure so many have had those kind of days where you've gone in and the nurses, and in particular this lady, she'd had a real bad day at the nursing home. You know, just everything that probably could go wrong went wrong. And she didn't feel loved. She didn't feel appreciated. She didn't feel like she'd had a good day at all. She came home and said, that's it. I'm not going back. I can't do this anymore. I'm done. I'm finding another job. And Fred says, the next morning, the alarm goes off at 7 o'clock in the morning. She wakes up, gets out of bed, and heads back to the nursing home for another day. Because she's learned the lesson that the world don't really have to live by if it feels good, do it. Her call is that job, even on the days she didn't like it. And so for many of us, this is that principle. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who are in grief, for it's in those times they'll realize they're not alone. If I could share it this way, though I don't like painful moments, and I know many, most of us don't like painful moments, do we? But y'all, it's in those moments that the sacredness of life shines through. Those are often the most sacred moments of our lives. And moments like right now where Andrea and her mom and her sister are down spending their last moments with my father-in-law, loving him and caring for him, conversing with him just a few more times, 
Those are special sacred moments. They're moments where the earth begins to get peeled away, where our mortality shines through and says we're not going to be here forever. Moments where we have to wrestle with heaven and earth and death and life. Those are sacred moments. Those are growing moments. Those are healthy moments. Um, you know, and so we've, Jesus is trying to say, if you want a happy, blessed life, you've got to find ways to embrace your broken moments. Because that's where the blessing lies. Then his third principle Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And so here, instead of the rule, saying, get all you can while the getting's good. Keep up with the Joneses. Get that nicer truck or that nicer sports car. Sell your old minivan. You know, I need to sell mine. We, we don't have kids anymore, and I'm still driving it around after 240,000 miles. But instead of getting all you can and grasping for it and holding it and keeping it, Jesus says, listen, if you want a blessed life, then instead of going like this, you've got to learn how to live like this. You've got to be willing to give it away. You've got to be willing to share. You've got to be willing to surrender. I know an awful lot of folks in this world, they're great at hoarding, they're great at collecting, they're great at, at taking stuff for themselves. Jesus says that's not the happy path. The happy path instead is meekness, kindness, gentleness. It's the way of saying, oh, you need this? Well, take it. I have something that can help you? Sure, it's yours. He says, these are the kind of folks that will inherit the earth. These are the kind of folks that when the kingdom comes, God is going to entrust to these folks those kind of riches and wealth. And to give you an example of this, um, y'all know Corey Tindoom story, right? Corey, her dad, her sister, they were in the Netherlands um, during World War II. And this quiet little clock-making family would hide Jewish refugees from the Nazis and get them out and get them to safety. And they did it for like a year until uh, somebody found them out and ratted on them and had them thrown in prison. And when they were thrown in prison, within two weeks, the, mate, the patriarch of the family, the pa... Uh, died he just he couldn't last in prison at all and fortunately the two sisters Corey and betsy were sent to robinsbrook concentration camp together and so they were able to stay in concentration camp in nazi germany together for the last couple of years of the war and when i think about meekness i don't think about Corey. you know who i think about when i think about meekness it's her sister, Betsy. You know the story about her sister, Betsy? Her sister, Betsy, was the meek one. 
She was the one when Corey wanted to get up and smack the guards in Ravensbrück prison. Uh, Betsy would be the one saying, no, 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 we can't do that. Jesus wouldn't want us to do that, Corey. You see, Betsy's life by worldly terms really has not much significance. Her and Corey both, as girls, they never married. They were single their whole lives. They never had a husband. They never had children. They never had family. And Betsy, by worldly means, at the very end of the concentration camp years, she died. And Corey only got out on a snafu, uh, which I would call the hand of God. Corey should have been dead too, but they, they let her go at the very end of the war, kind of accidentally. But it's to Betsy that when God spoke about Corey's future, it was to Betsy that God gave the vision. You hear Betsy's story, she'd be, begin telling Corey, I can see it, Corey, one day we're going to have this kind of house on this kind of property, and, and we are going to be used to bring healing to this war-torn Europe. We're going to be used to bring forgiveness for, for all the evil that's been done over these last several years. God is going to use us in this. And she gave Betsy this glorious vision that would later become her sister's lifelong work of bringing healing to a broken Germany and a broken Europe through her ministry of teaching and preaching and forgiveness. By the worldly standards, Betsy died in a concentration camp without any worth at all. But yet she was the spiritual giant between her and her sister Corey. And it's in her meekness that I know one day in the kingdom of heaven, she's going to own a whole lot more stuff than me or any of us here. Because she is a giant in faith. So that's what God, that's what Jesus is saying. Blessed are the meek. They're going to be the ones that will possess things in the end, not those who grasp it now. And y'all, this is, this is right before us, even within our own sort of denominational challenges. Right? The thing that breaks my heart a great deal in our present moment with the United Methodist group and the group that's ready to break away and become something different is we've entered a phase where both sides are kind of grasping and saying, this is my stuff, I'm keeping it for myself, you can't have it. Um, and it breaks my heart, because God doesn't bless that kind of way of doing things. We're not to be graspers. We're meant to be people who say, Listen, if I have something you need, it's yours. That's where who's, who we're supposed to be. And so Jesus challenges us with all these things, but how do we live into it? How do we begin? How do we start reorienting our heart, our attitudes, our life into this different countercultural direction that's at total odds with what the world tells us success is all about and happiness is all about? What do we do? Well, he gives us the tip in verse 6. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, 
for they will be filled. You see, the real question is, are you hungry for something different? Are you thirsty for something more? Do you notice that you're missing something so deeply that you want to become something new, something different? Do you want to be remade as a human being and for God to be able to bless and bring out the best and to be able to work through your brokenness? How do we do that? We are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. I know the word righteousness used to trip me up. What it basically means is we want to be a people who do the right thing over and over and over again in our choices and our thinking and our decisions and our lives. We want to be a righteous people. That means we want to do the right thing every time. And the challenge in our day and age is we all live by what, what we call my truth, right? I got my truth. You got your truth over here. He's got his truth and she, got, she has her truth. The problem with that is, is what we need more of is not my truth or your truth. We need God's truth. We need God's righteousness. We need God's holiness. And so we got to be hungry and thirsty for that. Because the things I think and the things I believe may not be the best. I need help. And the point of all these Beatitudes is what? Jesus' point in all these is be in a place where you're dependent upon God. Because if you'll have a hungry heart, if you'll have a meek heart, if you'll have a poor heart, if you'll have a, a mournful heart, that puts you in a place where God's kingdom can pour into you over and over again. His kingdom can pour into you because you know you need Him. And brothers and sisters, this is the very thing that got Jesus upset with the Pharisees, right? And the Sadducees and the other religious leaders of the day. Why? Because for all their religion, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Jewish leaders, they weren't spiritually poor. They didn't have to be meek. They were proud. We're the right religious, reverend kind of folks. We, we got it all together. We don't need this poverty stuff. We don't need this meekness stuff. We don't need to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We already know how to do it. And Jesus' whole point is, well, okay, guys, you got it figured out. So I guess I can't help you at all. <laughs> and so our opportunity is to reorient our hearts and lives in prayer to become a new people who don't boast about our righteousness, but who instead hunger and thirst for God's righteousness. Because if we hunger and thirst, not that we figure it out ourselves, but He satisfies us. God fills us. God moves in us. So I close with kind of an example of a story of a family who discovered this journey for themselves. And the fellow's name is Roberto Davalos. I think he's from Ecuador. I, I don't know for sure. I, I didn't write it down uh, when I wrote the story down. But I think he was from Ecuador. He moved to the U.S. when he's 21 years old. And he longed for, he was hungry for happiness. And so he pursued the American dream. So what did he do? He joined the U.S. Air Force. He married a beautiful American woman. 
He had a young, pretty daughter. He had a nice house and two cars, and he could retire at age 42 and receive a pension for the rest of his life. His life was comfortable, and he was happy. He had found the pursuit of happiness. But Roberto and his wife, Charmy, decided also to follow Jesus after they were married. And so one day they were attending church in Valdosta, Georgia, where they were stationed in the Air Force. And one night they heard a a missionary, a cross-cultural worker from Peru. And he came to talk about his ministry. And as he talked about his ministry, they said, oh, that's great. They headed home. But on the way to home from church that night, Charmy turned to him and said, I'm going to be a missionary. Roberto, though, was like, what? Are you sure? He says for six months, he struggled with Charmy's call to ministry. She might be called to be a missionary, but not me. I'm living the happy life. And so he prayed about it, whether or not they should serve as missionaries and cross-cultural workers. And eventually he said, what struck me was verse Matthew 10, 39, one of Jesus' countercultural teachings again, whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So this is what he says, I had a good job. I had a house, a wife, a daughter, a pension. It was really difficult to let all those things go and trust God for our future. But Roberto did trust. He surrendered and depended upon God's call. And God, he told God, listen, I'll go anywhere in the world. Just don't send me to Ecuador. Guess where they ended up? Ecuador. And they were doing ministry in Quito, the capital, but a short time later they noticed that the jungle region needed a lot of help, especially the children in the jungle region. They weren't getting educated at all. They'd be in the sixth grade without being able to read or write at all. The, the, the jungle villages did not value education. And so Roberto and Charmy ended up being foster parents for several kids in the local village, in the jungle of Quito. They taught their kids Spanish, English, math, Bible lessons, and a couple of other things. And they did this for like two years. You know what happened after two years? The other families in the community began looking at their foster kids, and then they would look at their kids. They'd look at their foster kids. They'd say, your kids are doing incredibly well. Our kids are a mess. We need your help. So in 2012, they founded Antioch Christian Academy. It's now a school that runs through ninth grade and has 160 students out in the boonies of the Ecuadorian jungle. It has a house for girls who live far away, a farm, and so many other things. They found life and joy and blessedness in the broken places. And Jesus says that's where we will find our blessedness too. For some, that may mean being missionaries. For others, that may be staying here. But how can we depend on Jesus and let him be our all in all? 
In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, as I look to you today, I thank you so much for your insight. Our world still tries to run by more, more, more. And here you are, after 2,000 years, still teaching us. It's really about less, less, and less. And so, Lord, help us find our way in our materialistic world, all about money and stuff and all the other things going on around us. And instead, help us find ways to find your happiness and your blessing. Lord, help us listen for your voice, follow your path, and help us be hungry and thirsty for your righteousness. Because if we can do a little better what you want us to do and put your will first, Lord, we know there's no telling what good and what loving kinds of things that you'll accomplish in and through us that might just change a jungle family and might just change our world. So, Lord Jesus, help us follow you. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.